Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermon. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Jesus, we absolutely love you and adore you. God, if anybody's a, a guest of honor and there's a, 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 you know, just a words of appreciation, it's, it's to you today. God, you're awesome. God, we acknowledge, Lord, who you are and what you've done, God, in this place and in our lives. And, Lord, today as we uh, just gather again, as your word says, Father, we thank you. It's for our benefit. Lord, we thank you that every time we gather, your presence is here. God, your anointing's here, God, and we have the ability to hear your voice. And, God, we thank you that when we hear your voice, it truly allows us to change direction, however we need to change, however we need to move. And so, Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, thank you for the anointing, thank you for your presence, and thank you for your voice in our lives. We ask that you would speak loud and clear today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, last Sunday, uh, we began a new series uh, entitled Decisions. And again, in full disclosure, you know, the inspiration of the series comes from one of my favorite books that I've ever read. It's called The Traveler's Gift by Andy Andrews. And for those of you who maybe weren't here last week, if I could just kind of bring you up to speed, this this book was originally uh, birthed out of an extremely difficult time in the author's life. At the age of 19, he lost both of his parents, and he was left homeless. And it was during that really difficult season of his life that he began to go to the library, and he began to, uh, just in his heart, there became this desire to read, and not just to read like magazines and other things, but he actually spent over the next 10 years reading somewhere between 200 to 300 biographies and autobiographies of influential people who changed the world. And as, and as Andy read all of those books, he, he realized something. In other words, I believe it's really God, that God began to move in his heart, and he began to show him that there were seven principles or seven common denominators that appeared to be woven in each of those individual life stories that helped them be successful. And when he began to realize that, he decided to do something that I would say is super courageous. He said, you know what, I, I realized my life was in this desperate spot, but I actually want to make my life an experiment to see if I apply these seven principles to my life, I want to know if they'll make me successful like all those other people. And of course, if you fast forward, uh, you find out that obviously the experiment worked, right? But the question today is this, is why? Like, why did it work? Why did it work for Andy? Why did it work for those two to 300 other something influential people? I believe the answer is pretty simple. It's because every one of those principles, they're actually found in the Word of God. And so that means that all those principles are God's ideas. Amen? So, uh, you know, if I can kind of give you a verse, kind of connect with that, Joshua 1.8 puts it this way. It says that if we study this book of instructions, talking about the Bible, if we study it continually, meditate on it day and night, you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. And then it says these two words, only then, only then. In other words, only when you apply what's in this book will you prosper and succeed in all you do. So in my opinion, uh, like it didn't really matter if those two or 300 people knew if they were following God's word or not. The bottom line is, is the principle still worked in their favor because they chose to apply it. 
So if I can kind of bring that to where we're at today, uh, you know, with that in mind, the basis of this series is completely built around the idea that if God isn't a respecter of persons, that if he'll do it for those several hundreds of people, then can you just imagine for a moment what he would do in and through our lives if we too decided to apply the same proven principles to our lives? I don't know about you, but I think the outcome would be amazing if we just stick to it. Amen? So as we shift gears, I want to just... Uh, remind you that last week we dug into what we called the first decision. And that first decision was this. It was that I will take responsibility. See, when we decide to actually step up to the plate and own our lives, we're saying, look, I'm going to take responsibility for where I'm currently at physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, financially, and most importantly, spiritually. Now, that's important because if you and I can't take responsibility for where we've been, how will we ever take responsibility for where we're going? So at its core, the first decision is all about reclaiming our ability to choose the forward direction of our lives rather than remaining trapped or remaining stuck under the control of someone or something in our past. So once we've made that decision, once we've reclaimed our ability to go, okay, I'm now free to make the choice with God and not being filtered through so-and-so or that situation in my past, we got to ask the question, like, what's next? What's the next step? What's the next decision that we need to make? And that's what I want to talk to you about today. So to get the ball rolling, let's kind of look at an extended portion of Scripture, but it says this in 1 Kings. I want us to read it. 1 Kings chapter 3, starting at verse 16. It says, Sometime later, two prostitutes came to King Solomon to have an argument settled. Please, my Lord, one of them began, this woman and I live in the same house. I gave birth to a baby while she was with me in the house. Three days later, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There were only the two of us in the house, but her baby died during the night when she rolled over on it. It says in verse 20, Then she got up in the night and took my son from beside me while I was asleep. She laid her dead child in my arms and took mine to sleep beside her. And in the morning when I tried to nurse my son, he was dead. But when I looked more closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't my son at all. And then it says in verse 22, Then the other woman interrupted, It certainly was your son, and the living child is mine. No, the first woman said, The living child is mine, and the dead one is yours. And then it says this, It says, And they argued back and forth before the king. Let me hit the pause button there just for a moment. What I want us to do, if we can, just in our own heart and our own mind, put ourselves in King Solomon's shoes in that moment. Like, think about it. If we were the ones sitting there, not only listening to them argue back and forth, but if we were the ones that had to make the decision on who this baby belonged to, like, how would we decide? Like, there are no, you know, DNA tests available. There are no witnesses Like, literally, we we don't have anything else to help us to decide. The only thing we got is one woman's words against another. Like, if you were in that spot, what would you do? Listen what happened next, verse 23. It says, then the king said, all right, let's get the facts straight. Both of you claim the living child is yours, and each says that the dead one belongs to the other. All right, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought to the king. Then he said, cut the living child in two and give half to one woman and a half to the other. Now, if I can just maybe pause for a minute. Can you imagine what all the people that were in the room that day must have thought when they heard that? 
Like they had to think, okay, our king who we admire, who we love, man, this guy's going crazy. Right? But it goes on to say in verse 26, says, Then the woman who was the real mother of the living child and who loved him very much cried out, Oh, no, my Lord, give her the child. Please do not kill him. But the other woman said, All right, he'll be neither yours nor mine. Divide him between us. And then it says that Solomon said this, Do not kill the child, but give him to the woman who wants him to live, for she is his mother. Like you can almost feel the tension that was in the room, and then when he said that, like, whew. Now, what's wild about this to me is, like, 10 seconds earlier, man, this guy seemed like he was a nutcase. Fast forward 10 seconds, he looks like he's absolutely brilliant. Right? So much so, look at what spread throughout the entire nation. Verse 28, the whole reason we're reading this. It says, When all of Israel heard the king's decision, the people were in awe of the king, for they saw the wisdom God had given him for rendering justice. Now, I think we can all agree that's an extraordinary story. But clearly, more than likely, none of us will ever, uh, you know, find ourselves in that kind of difficult circumstance, right? Like Solomon found himself in that day. But, but here's what I want you to know. Just kind of make it personal. Kind of two thoughts. The first one is this. Is even though we won't find ourselves in that spot, same spot, there's no doubt that if you and I are going to move forward from where we are currently at, Many of us will need to make some difficult, possibly even uncomfortable decisions to break free from the unhealthy patterns of our past. So this means that if we're ever going to maybe navigate, right, through all the obstacles and through all the struggles that that come up when we try to get free from our past, when we try to get free from old thought patterns, that you and I are going to need the God kind of wisdom that Solomon had on that day. Like we can't do it alone. And here's why I say that. It's because even though this might be sobering, the reality is, is that every one, of, every one of us are at where we're at today because of our best thinking. Right? Like our best thinking has given us the marriage we have today. Our best thinking has made us the parents we are today. Our best thinking has put us where we're at financially today. Our best thinking has put us where we're at spiritually today. Our best thinking has put us where we're at relationally today. How well we lead today. Am I making sense? Every area of our life, we are where we are because of our best thinking. So listen, if we want to actually move forward like we just talked about, then maybe it's important that we learn how to lean into God's wisdom rather than our own. So with that in mind, listen to what Solomon wrote in Proverbs 28. He said, the man, he who trusts in his own heart, the man who trusts in his own insight, his own thinking, he said, that guy's a fool. It says, but whoever walks wisely, or as other translations say, uh, but whoever walks in God's wisdom will be what? Delivered. So again, the only way that we're ever going to get free from our past and old thought patterns, old behavior patterns, the only way we're going to get free from all that is by receiving and applying God's wisdom to our situation. Now, in addition to that, there's no doubt, here's the second thought I want to throw at you, is that when you and I start breaking free and becoming more of who God wants us to be, guess what? That allows God to begin to open up doors of new opportunities for us. But the question is, is as we get free, as we start becoming who God wants to be, and as he starts to open the doors, will we be ready? See, going back to that story for a moment, like I highly doubt that Solomon knew a month, a week, a day, 
hour, maybe even a few minutes before, that he was going to be put on the spot where he had to judge between those two women. Like, he didn't know that that difficult situation was coming, right? But one thing is clear is that when that difficult situation came, guess what? He was ready to steward the moment very well when it came. Now, this might sound basic, but, you know, kind of give my life as an example, and you can make it personal, however your journey has been, but, but listen, when I was 17 years old and I gave my life to Jesus, right? Just kind of show you how this works. When I was 17 and I gave my life to Jesus, I almost instantaneously knew that I was called to preach the gospel, right? The only problem was, is I had never preached a sermon before, right? So fast forward at 21 years old, I became a youth pastor. But the problem was, is I had never led a bunch of teenagers before, at 24, I got married. What was the problem? I had never been married before. At 28, I became a dad. I ain't never been a dad before, right? At 37, I became a senior pastor. The only problem was is I had never led a church before. But thankfully, way back in my early 20s, I had some awesome men of God around me that taught me that if I was ever going to be able to steward all the new opportunities well that God would bring in my life, that like Solomon, that I would need to learn how to receive and apply God's wisdom for whatever those opportunities unfolded, right? So that I'm not misunderstood here, I want to make something really clear. It wasn't like I ever felt prepared for all those transitions, like, I didn't feel prepared when I became a husband. I didn't feel prepared when I became a father. The truth is, is I felt extremely inadequate in all of those transitions we just talked about. But, but the cool part was, is that even though each one of those opportunities had all the uncertainties wrapped up in it, and it had all the unique challenges wrapped up in it, I, I can stand here today and say before any of those moments came, I had already settled in my heart that I would trust and I would lean on not my own wisdom, but I would trust and lean on God's wisdom and whatever came my way. And because of that, guess what? Because my heart was already positioned like Solomon's, guess what? I received what I needed when I needed it every single time. God's been faithful. Amen? So if I can maybe put something, you know, for you today, kind of package a thought, it'd be this, is that as God's people, we have to come to the understanding that, that it's not our talents, it's not our abilities, it's not our anointing or our spiritual gifts, it's not our charisma or great you know, people skills, it's not our title or some rank we have in society, it's not our education or our understanding of how the world works that sets us apart. It's none of those things. It's the wisdom of God and the wisdom of God alone that gives us the extraordinary ability to live a life in a special way, unique way, supernatural way that's different than the world. Amen? So to understand that it's God's wisdom, right? It's the gift of wisdom that helps us to know how and when to apply that knowledge, that understanding, that talents, those gifts, that anointing, that education. It's him that teaches us how and when to apply it. So it's also that wisdom that allows us to see things from his perspective, and when you and I actually begin to uh, respond on that perspective, we begin to act out of that perspective, the Word of God promises us that our lives will be full of joy, full of health, full of long life, full of promotion, peace, honor, and riches. Like that's all the Word of God. Amen? Those are the rewards of walking in wisdom. Why? Because the principles work. You get that. Amen? All right, so listen, if all that's true... And you're sitting here today and you're like, okay, I wouldn't mind having a life like that. Me too, by the way. 
And if you recognize today, man, okay, I really, really, really need wisdom in a desperate way for my life, then the, the question's got to be like, well, how do we get it? How do we get it? And the good news is, is we get the exact same way that Solomon did. Let's go back to the same chapter in 1 Kings chapter 3. And let's hit the rewind button to verse 5. It says this. It says, That night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and God said, What do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. Have you ever thought maybe for a moment, it, like if God showed up at your doorstep and he said, Hey, what do you want? Whatever you ask, I'll give it to you. Have you ever thought about how you had answered that question? T to me, what this shows is, is how much he trusted Solomon, right? So he says, what do you want? Ask and I will give it to you. Solomon replied, you showed great and faithful love to your servant, my father, David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you have continued to show this great and faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on his throne. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made me king instead of my father, David. But I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. That literally means I'm inexperienced. And it says, and here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous they cannot be counted. If I can just add, he said, so here's what I'm asking for. Verse 9, give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. It says, for who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? And then it says in verse 10, it says that the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. It says, so God replied, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice, have not asked for a long life or wealth, or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you have asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has had or ever will have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands, as your father did, I will give you a long life. And then it says Simon woke up and he realized it had been a dream. So listen, in light of that passage of Scripture, I want to ask, like, how do we receive wisdom from God? The answer is simple. Like Solomon, all we have to do is what? Ask. That's it. Now, now before someone starts, starts thinking in their mind, well, well, that's only for special guys like Solomon. Let me remind you, let me, let me scoot you to the New Testament that the Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 5, it says, if you, who's he talking about? Every believer in the room, if you, right, need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. So that verse proves that our search for wisdom is no different than King Solomon's. It begins by simply asking God for it. Now, here's the key part. Please don't miss this. Is that after we ask, we have to learn to hang around long enough to hear his heart and to hear his mind on whatever manner we need wisdom for. See, so often what happens with, with people in the church is they, they say this. Oh, God, they throw up this like crisis prayer. I need wisdom. And then they run off to their own life and doing all their busyness. And they get frustrated and go, well, God's not coming through. God's not speaking to me. Well, when have we given him time for him to speak to us? Right? If I'm running out the door, my mind's on a thousand things I got to do. And my brain's cluttered with all that stuff. Guess what? I'm probably not going to make room to be able to hear him. He's going to have to interrupt something. And he's faithful and he does. But listen, if you want to walk in wisdom, 
consistently hearing his voice, then you got to learn how to wait on him. Amen? See, to me, it's about the posture of the heart that, that says this at the end of the day that we understand that Jesus Christ has been made wisdom unto us. And so at the core, it's not about something I get from God. It's simply this. I'm going to pursue you, Jesus, and as I love you, you're going to speak to me and you're going to reveal wisdom to me. The pursuit's got to be right. Now, to quote Andy Andrews from Traveler's Gift, he said this. He said, we need to seek wisdom. Wisdom waits to be gathered. She is a gift for the diligent, and only the diligent will find her. The lazy man, the stupid or foolish man, never even looks. Though wisdom is available to many, she is found by few. Seek wisdom, find her, and you will find success and contentment. We all know that's true because all he's doing is writing the book of Proverbs right there. Right? So with all that in mind, our second decision that I believe that we need to make, once again, if we say, I, I'm, I'm going to take responsibility, and now I've reclaimed right, my, my choice to walk with God, then what are we going to need if we're going to move forward? We need wisdom. So what's the second decision we got to make? It's that I will seek wisdom. Solomon put it this way, Proverbs 4, verse 7. He said, the beginning of wisdom. Here's where it starts. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Thanks, man. <laughs> the beginning of it is this, is get it. What does he mean? The beginning of it is you got to have a heart for it. Right? What is the get wisdom? Then i got to seek it. Right? Why should I seek it? Look at Proverbs 3. Also Solomon. It says, joyful is the person who finds wisdom. The one who gains understanding. For wisdom is more profitable than silver and her wages are better than gold. Wisdom is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. She offers you long life in her right hand and riches and honor in her left. She will guide you down delightful paths. All her ways are satisfying. Wisdom is the tree of life to those who embrace her. Happier are those who hold her tightly. Seems like there's some good stuff found in wisdom. All right, for a few more minutes, let's dig into this, okay? Uh, what I want to do is I want to give you four conditions, four conditions that I believe that we have to meet in our own heart if we're going to be able to receive wisdom from God. Four conditions. So what am I saying? Am I saying that you can't just go, uh, God, you know, Give me wisdom and then run and do what you want, expect to get it. I'm saying that that's not how it works. So if we want to receive wisdom, here's four things biblically that we need to do. Okay? Number one, first condition we need to meet is we need to be humble. We need to be humble. Listen, if, if we can think back to what we read there in 1 Kings chapter 3 for a moment, we, we saw, you know, basically the son of maybe the greatest king ever of Israel, right? So we saw Solomon. He, he's tall. Right? He's handsome. He's rich. He's sitting on the throne. He's got the crown on top of his head. He's got more servants at his, at his beck and call than we can imagine. And literally, there's, there's millions of people, entire nation, that are at the mercy of whatever he decides. So I think if you put most young men in that position, men that would go to their head and they'd be arrogant like that. But that's not how Solomon was. Remember, he approached the Lord in humility. If we can, you know, going back to verse 7, I won't read it for the sake of time. 
But, but remember what he said when God gave him that dream. He said, he said I'm only a child. I'm inexperienced. Man, the, the nation that you have put me over so great. Can't even count all the people. I don't have the ability to discern right and wrong. I don't know how to lead these people. So I'm asking you please to help me. In other words, what he's saying is I can't do this on my own. You've got to come through if we're going to be able to do this. That, that's a prayer in a heart of a humble man. Amen? Now, if I can maybe uh, insert a verse that may sound a, a little odd that I'm putting in here, but there's a point that I believe I need to make today. Slightly different than the way we normally look at this verse, but it says in Psalm 14:1, it says, Only a fool says in his heart, there is no God. Only a fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, I know we typically assign that verse to atheists, but, but the, the reality and what I feel compelled to tell you today is that every time you and I, even as God's people, refuse to allow God to weigh in on the decisions that we're making, what happens in that moment is we are willfully acting like he doesn't exist. We're not allowing him to exist in that area of our lives. And I feel like I need to tell you that, that basically this, that that makes us more foolish and more prideful than any unbeliever because we know better. So what, what's kind of the point that I'm making here is this, is that if you look at Solomon's life, if you look at that verse that we just read, you find that humility causes us to ask God for wisdom, whereas arrogance, pride, deceives us into believing that we have the ability to do it ourselves. But we all know that's a lie. Yes? Hopefully we know that's a lie, that we can't do it all without God. We can't do it. We're not that great, right? Proverbs 11:2 says this. It says, pride leads to disgrace. Pride leads to disgrace, or it leads to dishonor. But with humility comes wisdom. So if you and I want to receive wisdom, then we need to understand that humility is the own ramp that allows humility to enter into our hearts. So if we want to find this wisdom, guess what? It's imperative that we, like Solomon, have a heart of humility. The second condition we need to meet is this. We need to live a pure life. Proverbs 2, 6, 7 says this. says, For the Lord gives wisdom. For his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And then verse 7 says this. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. Or some translations say he stores up sound wisdom for the righteous. Now, I'm saying that because we live in a day and age where, where some people have taken a grace message and they've preached it way overboard, and they somehow act like that grace somehow cancels out the laws and the principles of God's Word. And I want you to know that that, that teaching is deceiving loads of people around the world because they're not doing what the Scripture talks about. But we have to understand that, man, if you and I... Uh, actually want to receive wisdom from God, then God only releases that wisdom to those who are righteous. And so we don't need to believe the lie that we can live however we want. We're still going to get wisdom from God just because we asked, right? That is a misinterpretation of scripture, right? And so if we want to find wisdom, then that means that you and I got to keep our hearts and our lives pure, and we got to live according to the, the word of God, because that's where all wisdom flows from. So the third condition we must meet is this, is we need to feast. We need to feast on wisdom. So I've lived long enough to, to know that there's a hunger in our souls. By the soul, I mean our mind, our will, our emotions. That there's a 
hunger in our soul that longs to be satisfied and it doesn't care what fills it. Right? Like it will gladly fill itself with foolishness or wisdom. Like whatever we offer it, it will eat. So if that's true, like don't we think it'd be better for us if we learn how to partake of things that are full of wisdom rather than things that are full of foolishness? So if you can think for a moment, for a moment, of the things that we see, things we hear, right? The things we let come into us. Like we need to ask ourselves, you know, what we're currently feeding our soul on. Is it wisdom or is it foolishness? And we have to stop and go, what's the source? If we don't know the source, all you have to do if, to be halfway discerning is to recognize how it makes you feel after you've indulged. Like if I walk away and I'm full of peace and I'm full of joy, right? If, there's, uh, if I'm resolute and there's, there's proper direction, I know where to go, then more than likely the source is good. But if I walk away and I'm unsettled, if there's fear, if there's worry, if there's anger, if there's frustration, then more than likely I've been feeding on foolishness. So, but listen to what the word says for those who feast on wisdom. It says in Proverbs 3, it says, Happy or blessed is the man who finds wisdom. Proverbs 19, 8 says, He who gets wisdom loves his own soul. He who keeps understanding will prosper. Then Proverbs 24, 14 says, Wisdom is sweet to your soul. Uh, if you read the verse before, it talks about it being sweet like a honeycomb. It says, If you find it, you will have a bright future and your hopes will not be cut short. How many of you guys wouldn't mind having some of that? Yeah. Listen, because I believe, because so many of us believe uh, that that's true, that's why we feast on wisdom. Because we know that's, that's what comes to us. Now, how do we feast on wisdom? Uh, how do I do it? I'll just use me as, a, as an example. I, I do it just like so many of us in this room. I, I've intentionally looked for places where God's anointed people have already set a table. In other words, they've already prepared a feast, right? So in addition to studying my Bible, here's what I do. I go read godly books. I listen to godly audible books, right? I, I go and I listen to podcasts. I go and I watch old sermons that are got old saints that are full of the Holy Ghost and full of wisdom on their life, and I go listen to them. Why? Be, because I want to learn. See, why do I feast on those things? Because it simply is this, is I look at my life and I'll go, okay, once again, my thinking has got me where I'm at. But I recognize that God has called me there. And if I'm going to get there, I'm going to need wisdom. And so instead of spending hours and hours and hours of banging my head against the wall trying to figure everything out, why not go, yeah, yeah God spoke to them. Let me save myself about, you know, 400 hours and let me go listen to that and let God speak to me. Let me get in me so I can go. It's wisdom. Yeah? So as I say all that, I, I recognize it. Like even if I just say read a book, most people are like, mm. <laughs> I'm amazed by how many people brag that they haven't read a book since college or high school. Can I shoot straight with you? If, if, if you're the kind of person that says, well, I haven't done any of that and I'm not going to do that, all you're really telling everybody, you're bragging about the fact that you're comfortable in your own life. You're bragging about that you think that somehow that you've arrived and you don't need to go any further. That's foolishness. Right? Like, do we honestly think that any of us are the complete work? 
right? So if, you know, at the same time I go, people go, ah, well, you know, I don't, I don't have time for all that. That's why I don't do it. Well, here's the reality, guys. Neither do we. We're all busy, too. Right? We're all busy. But here's what we've done. Once again, I'm saying us because I, I know these guys, right? Here's what we do is, is we've learned to listen to things while we're working around the house. We've learned to listen to things while we're driving to work. We've learned to listen to things while we're taking a shower. Yes, I listen to Holy Ghost stuff in the shower, right? We, listen, we, we, we learn to listen to things while we're going to bed. That's the great thing about Audible. All I do is have to back it up to where I think I fell asleep and I start over again, right? So, so my, my point is, it's like, man, we, we just try to find a way to get it in us. Like, because we actually believe what the Bible says, that wisdom can be found, and if we believe wisdom can be found, we're going to seek after it. All right, here's the fourth and last condition that I believe we need to meet. It's kind of two-pronged here, okay? So, number four is that we need to choose our companions wisely. We need to choose our companions wisely. For those of us that are in the room that have children, like, I believe we understand it's important for our kids to have the right kind of friends. Like, that's important to us, right? Like, like I would say, if you've never thought about that, you're probably not a good parent, Okay? So, so, like, it, it, as parents, it's important to us that our kids have the right kind of friends. And the reason is, is because we understand more than likely they're going to turn out to be who, like, they hang around. And so, to kind of give an example, if you take, you know, a kid and he hangs around people who are pure, who are righteous, that love Jesus, that are honest, whatever, they're respectful, whatever words you want to attach there, more than likely, if you fast forward in that kid's life, they're going to turn out to be someone who really loves God and really holds all those attributes and characteristics we just talked about. But on the opposite side, if you take a kid who, who hangs around a bunch of other kids who are disrespectful, doing drugs, having sex, talking nonstop trash out of their mouth, then there's a high probability you fast forward and that kid's going to do the exact same things. Like, we all understand that that's true. Now, now here's why I'm bringing that up today is that, isn't it interesting how, how we're so concerned about our kids' choices of friends, yet we ignore the same principle for ourselves as adults? Right? Like, I'm not so sure why we think this, but for some reason we think when we reach a certain age, and we have a certain level of independence and a certain amount of money in our, in our, in our bank account, a certain car, I got a house, whatever, that that principle that basically if you show me your friends, I'll show you your future, like that goes out the window because I've reached a certain age. Well, that's a lie, right? So, so what happens is, is if, if I hang around a bunch of people who are full of compromise, they're lazy, they live a mediocre life, they're liars, they talk trash, they, they watch trash, whatever, whatever it is, okay? If they're negative, if they're whatever, if they're complainers, at the end of the day, if I keep hanging around those people, I'm going to find myself being the exact same way. True. Okay? So, so let me make this clear. I'm not here really to bust anybody's chops about who you hang out with. But, but there's a verse that I want to make you aware of. It says this in Proverbs 13, verse 20. It says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. Like, let's look at that for a moment. Go to a spot where you were, like, doing awesome in life. More than likely, you were hanging out with some awesome people. 
rewind and go back to some of the roughest moments of your life where you were making some of the dumbest decisions, more than likely you were hanging around dumb people. Right? Because the word is true. Bad company corrupts good character, or vice versa. Good company produces good character. Right? So I, I don't know about you, but, you know, today I'm sitting here and I'm like, hey, man, I, I, I want to be a wise person. So if I want to be a wise person, I need to hang out with wise people. And the reason is because I found that in my own personal experience that when I hang out with wise people, that they make me a better version of myself. And typically when I hang out with wise people, they really challenge me to love Jesus more. Amen? So pretty plain and simple. Once again, if I want to find wisdom, then I need to look for wisdom or wise people to hang around. All right, let me give you the other side of this. So, so part of this is, is just pure friendship, okay? And then on the flip side is I'm always looking for, I'll use a term that's thrown, thrown around in our society, I'm looking for mentors. Because at the end of the day, I'm like, okay, cool, man, I'm 45 years old, but guess what? In here, I still want to be a better husband than I am. I still want to be a better father than I am. I still want to be a better friend than I am. And I still want to be a better leader than I am. That's truth. And so what I've chosen to do in life all the way from my early 20s is I look for people who are further down the road and who are experiencing the type of success in those areas that I want. And so what I've done is, is I have, I've identified them and, and I go, basically, I just make relationships with them. And I don't necessarily tell them, hey, you're mentoring me. I don't want to freak nobody out. But, but I'm looking for these mentor moments with people because, I'm, because what I'm going to do is I'm going to be riding in the car. I'm going to be going to lunch. I'm going to be talking with them. I'm going to do whatever. And I'm going to ask them questions about whichever area that I think they're rocking it in. So I'm looking for that guy who loves his wife really, really well, that's got a happy wife, he has got godly kids, and I'm going to ask that dude questions. And the second thing I'm going to do is I'm just going to sit back and watch how he lives because a lot of times you learn more by watching than asking. Right? And so the same thing, go to obviously leadership. I'm looking for leaders who are really great leaders, who love their people, who aren't arrogant, who it's not all about them, but they understand the heart of the Lord and how to lead people. Then I'm going to go and I'm going to hang around those people because I'm wanting to learn. I'm wanting them to rub off on me. Am I making sense? Now, I'll give you another side of this. With that group of people, here's what I look for I actually look for them to rebuke me. Anytime a guy comes here and he speaks, an older man, promise you before the day's over, come here, tell me what you see in the church. Tell me what you, what you thought about when I did that today. What do I need to do different? Right? Okay, we were with our team. What do I need to do different? Why did you do it this way? Why did you handle it that way? And I'm looking for them, not just to pat me on the back and go, oh, Quentin, that was awesome. The church is great. No, 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 no. I'm looking for them to go, you know what, you need to work on that. You need to preach this. The people are lacking this. Your leadership's lacking this. I'm looking for them to bring correction in my life so I can move, move up higher. Amen? It would be foolish not to do that. Let me give you a verse and we're going to land this. It says, Proverbs eleven fourteen. It says, where there is no wise, intelligent guidance, the people fall and go off course like a ship without a helm. But in the abundance of wise and godly counselors, there's what? Victory. So 
in our lives, let me just ask you, when, when you are getting ready to make big decisions in life, who are you allowing to speak into it? This is important. Watch this. Because when you go make a decision, guess what? You only have the amount of wisdom that you currently have that got you to where you're at, okay? That can be good or bad, okay? But guess what happens when I go, okay, I'm going to talk to him, and I'm going to talk to him, and I'm going to talk to him, and I'm going to talk to him, because all four of those are dudes that I talk to. Guess what happens is I'm bringing their wisdom into my situation, and I just multiplied my wisdom by four. So do you think I have more, more chance of being successful isolating myself, right, and operating only in my wisdom or saying, okay, guys, come on, bring in, tell me what you really think. It's easy. So, but what I found in life is when people don't want to bring other people into the mix, it's because they've already made up their mind what they're going to do, and they're not interested in anything else. And I've learned this, especially in relationships, is that when people do that, they typically, man, things fall apart. Like, if you can't go to someone that you respect and go, hey, I'm thinking about doing this, then at the end of the day, man, you, you, you're a lone ranger and, and you're a fool. I'll give you a Bible word. You're a fool, right? Amen. Can you stand to your feet? On that note. So I think all of us in this room understand that, you know, at the core that, that wisdom is not some destination we reach, but it's a journey that we're actually on. In other words, we never get to the point where we say, okay, I've arrived. So if it's a journey, then to maybe ask ourselves, okay, then maybe we consider like, how different could my life be if I chose to actually seek wisdom continually on this journey from a humble, pure, and teachable heart, how different could my life be? And then to actually ask yourselves, how different could my life be if I surrounded myself with wise men and wise women who literally in their own life want nothing more than to know and apply wisdom in their own lives? If I started gleaning stuff from them, how different would it make my life? You think it would have an impact? Yes, it would. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for every person that's here today. Lord, we thank you that your word says, God, that, that you are a giver of wisdom. And Lord, we admit to you today from humble hearts, God, that we need your wisdom. That there's no way that we can be who you've called us to be and do what you've called us to do by ourselves. God, that we need wisdom from heaven. And so, Lord, we simply ask today that you would help our hearts take on the right posture, the right condition, God, so that you could speak to us. And so, Father, I'm even asking, God, I believe there's probably people in the room today that are in situations that really need to hear from you. God, collectively, we just simply ask you to give us wisdom in every area of our lives. God, every single area of our lives. And Lord, forgive us where we've been running our own race and trying to do it on our own. God, we don't want to be prideful and arrogant people. We don't want to be independent apart from you. God, we want to walk with you because, Lord, we know there's safety in your counsel and there's safety with other people around us. And so, Lord, we even ask today, God, if there's people in the room that go, well, I don't have any of those kind of relationships. I don't have somebody that I can trust, somebody I can lean on. Lord, we're asking today that you would bring those kind of people in their lives. God, that you would open their eyes to identify who they are so they can connect. God, we believe 
that you are a generational God, which means that there's spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers, there's spiritual sons, there's spiritual daughters. God, would you begin to make those connections in a deeper way in our lives and in this church so we can live according to your word. And so finally, Lord, we simply just say this, God, in our own heart today, would you help us solidify the decision that we will seek wisdom, that we will seek you, that we're not going to live life once again on our own, but we're going to try to involve you in every area and allow you to speak. So Lord, teach us to wait on you. Teach us how to uh, long for your heart and your mind uh, just in the issues of life. So Lord, we bless you. We honor you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.